Welcome back to Roll for Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart at the center of enterprise IT. And we've managed to get all four co-hosts together for a miracle. So well done, us. We try hard. We try hard. <laughs> Sometimes we even succeed. <laughs> uh, so there's been news. There's been some news. Let's do the news. Uh, Microsoft beats on earnings and revenue though Azure growth moderates. So that's interesting to me on a couple of different angles. Um, the Azure versus Amazon Web Services versus Google Cloud horse trading is always fun to watch. And so uh, seeing who is doing well and poorly out of that is, is always interesting. But uh, Zach, you also had some comments about the uh, the PC shipment estimates and some inside analyst baseball there, which... Uh, I, for one, am popping some popcorn for. <laughs> uh, it's it's an area where undoubtedly they've struggled. I mean, that's that's just a fact. I mean, it's, uh, you know, when I was there, there were some numbers that were missed and they've missed them in other areas. I just think it's a big miss, right? I mean, sell-side analysts look to that kind of information. How do you how do you miss it that big? So do we question the analysts and how they're getting their info in an age of, of data, right? Is it is it the right way they're... Are they going to the right avenue? Should they be looking somewhere else? I mean, it just makes me wonder. Or is this really a symptom of uh, IT going outside of the business? I mean, surely, you know, IT departments are still the central point. Maybe Mike can talk about this of all the licensing, or maybe they're not. But that's that's a big miss. I mean, they came out and I forget what was it, uh, guys, that they said. And, and uh, yeah, what they said was Microsoft said sales of Windows licenses increased by twenty five percent in the fourth quarter, which right. confusingly is not their Q four, but never mind. Uh, but Gartner estimated that PC shipments had fallen 5%. And so, and those are not necessarily the same things, PC shipments and Windows licenses. But, you know, the Mac has been doing amazingly since the M1 Macs showed up. And if we can't assume that uh, there's something else that's sinking a huge amount. So it does look like a big miss by Gartner. And, and you know, I'll tell you, I, let me quantify my, my real quick, Mike, I'm sorry, the, uh, the statement around... Um... You know, good and bad data. This is a well-documented story. If you go out there and you research it or Google it, you know, Pure Storage and uh, Gartner, they don't have a great relationship because, you know, several, maybe five, six years ago, a well-respected analyst was gathering data on some storage and and storage sales, et cetera. And uh, I think Pure had given, it depends how you read the story. I mean, Pure had given maybe not misaccurate, but not fully um, transparent. I guess they weren't fully transparent. And then Gart, that analyst got burned at the cross and, and from everybody, sell-side analysts, reports, and everything. So, again, it's as good as the data you get. So, Mike, what do you think? That's a 30% delta. Yeah, I think – yeah, so we can – I think there's two aspects to this, right? The, the first one is the – so monthly active Windows 10 and Windows 11 PCs are like at $1.4 now. It was $1.3 in April 2021. So that's like $100 million add over – a span of nine months, eight months, whatever it is. I think that's incredible considering the environment, semiconductors you can't get. And so it's it's like big, right? On the analyst side, I mean, look, everybody plays into the numbers that Gartner has. But, you, you know, if you're a vendor giving numbers, I guess, and, and I'm not on the vendor side, but I guess you got to think like, not only is this being used for people making decisions, but also by your competitors. And to be honest, in some spaces, why do you give like, no one's going to make a PC decision based on what Gartner tells me, 
I, at least I don't think so, right? Uh, PC roadmap or whether you're going to go Windows or, or Mac OS or, or whatever. So why would you give Gartner like true info? So yeah, I can see it. And storage too. I mean, are people really... So yeah, they're not going to have the right numbers. I, I, I would say that some of the other analysts or other analysts have been always much better in this number because they're probably going to source data. PCs being sold, how many like Intel chips, how many M1s are being made. And then you could get like a probably a, a, a much better um, accurate number because it is centralized. I mean, you're buying licenses at one point in any in any company unless you're a really small mom and pop shop, but that won't matter. I mean, my perspective is I've never thought of Gartner as the definitive source on numbers of shipments of, of anything like, like, right, they can talk a little bit about growth rates in emerging markets and things like that. That's That feels to me like their numerical sweet spot. But if I was looking for, you know, petabytes of storage sold, I would not be looking first to Gartner. I'd be looking to IDC. They, they actually yeah. love to crunch the math. Um Having said that, I also will say I've been part of the input process to a number of these over the last 25 years. Holy hell. The and, acronym um, G-I-G-O raises its head at this point. There is an element of that. <laughs> there's there's an element of um, how much you want to be rounding, how much you want to be sharing, who you are, how you define the boundaries. And actually the most egregious folks around this are some of the, um, I would say, more uh, lowbrow analyst firms coming out of uh, other markets where I've been on intake calls and and essentially calls that fuel the numbers that they put out. And I'm, I'm not even confident that we're talking about the same category of items. Like, I feel like they're asking me how many burgers McDonald's is sold and I get to answer them on numbers of bars of soap. Like, it's just fundamentally distinct. I, I don't believe any of it, but IDC seems a whole lot closer to reality, given, like you said, Mike, all the other data points that they bring to bear on the math. Same. I'm doing a whole market analysis right now, and the accurate numbers are IDCs, um, where I have the ability to cross-check. The the other numbers are, are not uh, borne out by the facts, let's say. <laughs> Which is why IDC charges an arm and a leg for, for their analysis. Right, right. I mean, you sort of, you know, they put in the work, they get the, they get the money. As they should. As they should. Is, the, is there a risk that uh, Gartner puts uh, somebody, you know, everybody always refers to the Gartner quadrant, right? The magic quadrant and so on. Is there a risk that they put somebody like in that top quadrant as a market leader that has like two or three customers? No, then- no, because they'll ask you to talk to 10, right? And so you might, you might provide 10 of a base of 20 or 30. And we know, by the way, to, to provide a meaningful number of customers to Gartner is often the barrier to being included in an MQ. Even if you have a hundred customers, finding five of them to talk to Gartner that meet the specifications. And so they'll give you the specs. They'll say they need to be deployed on X number of machines or for over 12 months or these other things. By the time you get to that group of customers that Gartner is talking to, it's actually one of the hardest parts of an MQ submission. So it's unlikely that you're going to get essentially a, a, a no a zero player in the top right corner quadrant. But what you'll get is an exaggeration of somebody who might be a mid-market player that is able to produce the necessary documentation to make them seem slightly bigger than they are. It's a moving target. All right. So every year it depends. I can tell you a magic quadrants year to year. It depends how they weight it. So everything's weighted. So this year, whatever quadrant it is, maybe there's 25% weighted on something, 25% here. Next year it could be 30 and 
20, right? So you really need to read, you really need to read how they're weighting it every year when you look at the metric quadrant. Yeah. And second of all, yeah, I mean, the reason how they weed out some of the small players is some of the questions are around global support, you know, global reach, you know, channels, et cetera, et cetera. Customizing but, I mean, production it's, for yeah, it X is number a months. moving, that's right. And it is a moving target. And I, I, I got to be careful what I say, right? Because this is very serious. I mean, Gartner protects that magic quadrant with their lives. I mean, vendors have tried to sue them, right, over certain things. Um, they haven't, they haven't succeeded for the most part. But um, it's, it's a bold strategy, Carson. Yeah. Let's see how it plays out for them. And, yeah. and it's worked out well. Listen, it's worked out well for them, right? Forrester's trying to do their wave. It's worked out well for Gartner. Somehow, it's latched on, and, and people. But it is absolutely. It varies. It's how they Gartner. And of course, they'll look at data. They'll look at all the inquiries. They have the ability to just sift through all that. But it's um, yeah, and it goes back to what Lilac said. They they cross reference a bunch of different data sources when they're doing that. But here we come back to the enterprise software market is not the same as the PC sales market. So methodology mm -hmm. that works well for. Uh, looking at CMDBs to pick something that none of us is in the business of currently. Um, <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you, Dominic. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, maybe PC shipments, they are different, right? Uh, Mike, you probably buy licenses for remote desktops, right? For uh, VDI, right? Yeah, but I think, you know, I was thinking about that because, okay, if the number jumped 100 million, uh, yeah, 100 million, I mean, could it be VDI? I, I don't think they've added that many VDI licenses. And, and yeah, they, ha they have some new offer offerings in, in Azure for, for VDI, Microsoft, but I, I don't think it's, it's that. The, you know, the impressive part about, about all this is that they, they did it in a tight labor, like it's a tight labor market. So where are 100 million new devices going? Are they going to homes? Are they going ever? And, and let's not forget Apple. Apple also has it pretty button down so yeah i think it's multiple sources here you don't think it's vdi like remote people being remote at their houses or no uh, yeah you're right that would have been two years ago I could guess. it be multi-devices right i mean it would be shocking to me if all of a sudden microsoft is playing heavily in the mobile space or tablet space but i see a lot more surface devices around i wouldn't be surprised if that were growing as a category and we don't have the full breakdown here uh, the Xbox is growing, which makes sense because nobody could buy PlayStations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Does that count as... No, that's its own category. No, I'm just no it's its it. own category. I mean, I, I'm the first one who would enjoy redefining a category around my growth area, but like... <laughs> yeah, no, no, the, uh, that's a different category. But I, what okay. I mean is they don't break out what's a desktop versus uh, a tablet. And the Surface, to be fair to them, kind of straddles that boundary it's one of the things that makes that an interesting device and so it makes sense that they they don't break it out individually but it's I, uh sorry. what i would what i would love to see in these numbers is a geographical breakdown right where, yeah. where are most of these added where i mean you know you hear about the labor shortage so because i i don't assume these are like 100 million new devices going into homes i think these are 100 million new devices because they're connected devices right so if you're refreshing it's like are, are they even add. new devices because did you have to uh, I am so out of the Windows ecosystem. I honestly don't know the answer to this question. Was Windows 11 a paid upgrade? Are people buying that? Or Windows uh, 10? I well, I think it's all licensing now, so it's yeah. You would you would you could upgrade in place, and yeah, maybe no. It's just a Windows license, I think. So you can upgrade in place. I mean, it's. I mean, Windows 11 is not widespread. I mean, it's still in 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 test in most areas, right? 
Yeah, I'm wondering if and home devices to play the latest games. I honestly don't know. I was literally speculating out loud. Uh, I, I wouldn't know. Everybody at home uses Mac anyway, don't they? Oh, sorry. Shouldn't say that. <laughs> and, and Chromebooks for the, the students in school. Exactly. That's but, true. That's true. But the Azure thing is interesting to me. It's, uh, was It grew 46% in revenue, but it's the first time for four quarters it dips below 50% growth. So growth slowing. So, some people gave them some some help for that, and I'm like, you know, it's still like 46. percent oh Gosh, God. I mean, yeah, yeah a lot of companies would chew off their right leg. growth, and you know, the base is growing, so it's harder to grow 50. Like the law of large so, numbers, yeah. And the expectation what? was 46. percent So I'm not sure the people who are saying that this is a, a miss, but it's well, a slightly slower growth. Let me ask you, Mike. This is interesting. Um, so like in your China, and you probably can't talk specifics and I, I can respect that, but with what's going on with Alibaba globally, do you, do you think Microsoft can pick up more business like uh, in, in APAC and some of those other markets and uh, maybe emerging markets that are big Alibaba shops? Or I mean, again, I don't know what you can share, Mike, but what you can share, any insight might be good from your, your well, perspective. I think from a mainland China perspective, there's a diff- it's a different Azure there than your main Azure, right? I, it's not the same. And I think that offering is actually relatively new. So it will continue to grow. I, I think there's some companies, like if you look at Western companies, yeah, they're a bit worried about uh, AliCloud and all this. But yeah, some people are putting stuff in there and, and taking advantage of it, right? Uh, there is a very big difference in the viewpoint of, let's say... Um, because because we I, I think we make a mistake of grouping all Western companies together. And I think you need to group like there's a different perspective of an American company and a European company and how they look at it. So, yeah, I think they will pick up. But to be honest, most of this growth is from on site, on site and net new. It, it's all like like the, the way they're growing is why people introducing new applications, the growth in data analytics and data analytics is growing for because everybody wants to get to AI, needs the data. This is where they're growing, right? It's net new and stuff moving from on-prem or hosted data centers to to the cloud. And I think, you know, a lot of these companies that have like hosted, that are like hosting providers, I think they're suffering quite a bit. You know, the people are offering like infrastructure as a service. I mean, it's just being sucked in to Azure, AWS or, or Google or whoever, right? So that's that, that that's being affected in in multiple areas i think that's where most of the growth is is happening yeah yeah azure you're right by the way azure stack has been uh their big growth which has now been renamed i forget to something else but you're right on-prem which isn't that crazy on-prem is their biggest growth and they count that as cloud let's think about that for a minute i mean i have friends in tannix that are crushing it and i'm wondering why and i think this is probably why but i mean it, it just Think about that, everyone. I mean, on-prem is... On-prem cloud is the growth rate for cloud, right? Yeah. I think if we just keep redefining cloud, I think that's really the path we should go down. <laughs> the whole topic is nebulous, <laughs> let's face it. Ooh. I love that Lila. I love her on here. <laughs> She's, yeah, you're right, Lila. Uh... All right. Uh, moving off of Microsoft before we just rabbit hole completely, uh, just one little thing is uh, the productivity and business processes segment which is Office, Dynamics, and LinkedIn also beat expectations. And Teams now has over 270 million MAUs. So that seems to be going quite well for them. I'm really, really sorry for all your team users out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well. Uh, But um, what else? I I, I take offense to that. I take offense to that. (laughs) Yeah, but I've never really used like any of the competitors like Slack or, or Zoom or whatever. So 
It's just it it works in a in a Microsoft uh, environment. That's right. Uh, quite well. That's it. Teams yeah. is nice as long as you live entirely in a Teams world, except they still have no concept of multiple monitors, I, which is weird. They're getting better. They're getting better. They're getting better. If you say it often enough, they'll just build it eventually. So there you go. But that's just the Microsoft way. Feature sets into Teams. Then how some press just pop up. Yeah. Um, so last week we were talking about Microsoft making acquisitions. This week we can talk about NVIDIA walking away from an acquisition. Uh, so everyone was up in arms about the ARM acquisition that NVIDIA proposed to make and the concentration of power in the chip-making sector that that represented. Uh, and there was talk of uh, the UK competition authority uh, and the EU competition authorities and the interesting overlaps there, Brexit, <clears throat> Brexit. Um, but the NVIDIA seems to have decided that it's just too complicated and it's not worth the hassle, uh, which I think is probably for everyone's good. What do we think? Do we do we like the fact that this is not happening? I think it was, it, I mean, it was a genius move, right? And yeah, the, you know, the right now everybody's saying they're walking away from it, but let, let's face it, they weren't going to get approval, right? So that's why they're walking away from it. Um, I, I think that's clear to everybody. Um, I, I mean, I think it's probably better, and then people would agree with it. I, I, I would have liked to see an NVIDIA acquire ARM. I, I think there's a real semiconductor race here happening. Um, oh, yeah. I, and yeah, and ARM is part of it and a central piece of it to keep them alone. You know, now what 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 happens to ARM? By the way, I think the the rumor is now that SoftBank is going to IPO ARM. Um, so th- there will be something happening. And yeah, if it was a company smaller than NVIDIA, would they have allowed this to happen? Probably yes. So. You know, I don't, I, I don't know where this, where this goes after, but I think it's the first acquisition we see that doesn't happen in a very long time. And you know, how does that bode for the rest of them is is even more interesting. So uh, let's see what happens next. I mean, and and I would even play into like, you know, I've heard more and more. Like last week, Microsoft announced like the Activision. Like everybody's starting to raise their arms about that. Like it'll lessen competition. It'll be harder for the other companies. But it's still a number three player. But Microsoft is so big that they're worried that they can build moats, right? I, I think it's the fact that this acquisition didn't happen that will have other impacts on companies that they look to, especially now that the stock market's down and companies are have, have chopped valuations. I mean, you would expect that it's going to be like an eating frenzy right now, but this might stop it from happening, which is quite interesting yeah. in, in everything. It's, I mean, the stock market route is also an issue for acquirers. I mean, look at Zoom. Uh, they were one of the, the early fallers and they yep. had that, uh, what was it, the call center software they were going to buy and it was an all stock Five deal. Nine. Yep. Five, Five nine. Five nine, nine. yep. And the Zoom stock tanked, and so they they couldn't make the numbers work out anymore. And so, sure, there might be some companies that become targets because their own stock crashes, but the acquirers equally will not have quite as big a war chest to play with. Uh, unless you're unless you're a company with a lot of cash on hand, an Apple, a Microsoft, and so on, and then it's like, hey, maybe Zoom up. Looks- yeah. yeah, Zoom looks appetizing to me, you know. Microsoft doesn't have a, a unified communication play in there. Maybe they're going to snap up 5.9 instead, you know. There, there's a lot that could happen now. But Vice that's kind Lisa. of the definition of these opportunistic acquisitions are the ones that hardly ever go anywhere good uh, for anyone except the the people involved in making the deal happen. 
I was involved in one. I was working for a company. Company was healthy and successful. Had some issues that caused the stock to crater. A mega vendor swooped in and bought the company for a song. I think it was over 50% discounts to its undisturbed valuation. Uh, and the problem is they didn't really have a plan. They just saw an easy opportunity. And so that product line languished and did not achieve its success, missed a major market transformation and is, is gone, basically. Well, the, the the dynamics of being acquired are completely different depending on how you're funded and your ownership model, right? Because yeah. if you're a public company, despite all of, you know, T. Boone Pickens' history associated with it, if your stock drops enough, you essentially have almost no choice but to accept being acquired, right? There's very, yeah. you, there's poison pills, there's everything, but fundamentally the shareholders are going to scream bloody Once it goes low enough. Yeah. Once it goes low enough, you don't have that option. On the flip side, right, if you're private privately held with private equity, there's a certain brain trust that sits behind the operation and can make decisions with a different time frame than the stock market does. Great. But then like if you're all the way down at the startup level, and this is, you know, I spend a, a time talking to companies that seek to be acquired, they are looking for a good fit for their people, a good destination for their baby, a, a, a place in which their software could actually flourish. Those are very, very different sets of incentives at every point. And I think that that really very much changes the outcome, the profile of the buyer, whether it's a strategic buyer, whether it's a PE buyer, all of the negotiation, the math is different in these different places. Um, and, and it's sort of on both sides of the game, right? Is the buyer, what is the buyer's profile? And then what is the target's profile? Well, SoftBank is celebrating. Let me just say that. I mean, come on now. They're going to look for an IPO, a $40 billion acquisition. I mean, Arm will be valued at 10 times that. So that's Maybe that. they'll even then, offset their WeWork losses. And then, I mean, really, and then from a technology perspective, I mean, what is this? I mean, I think this is good for Arm. I mean, now you people that were hesitant with NVIDIA, maybe they jump back in. I mean, Arm was on a roll. So, so did Nvidia just slow them down? Was it just like a, a speed bump for for ARM? It's a good question, right? I mean, how about all the startups that have popped up the last three years, Mike? You know, in this in this space, which yeah. we hadn't seen them forever. Yeah, yeah. I, I to be honest, most of that is driven by blockchain. Let's face it; it's crypto and, and driving some yeah. of that. But yeah, ARM plays maybe in a in a different area. So that's true. Yeah, this will be this will be interesting to follow because I think it will have. Rec- repercussions in, in semi. I think, you know, before SoftBank uh, cheers this on, I think Intel and, and AMD are probably the ones that are probably celebrating more than anybody else. You think AMD and Intel are celebrating, huh? More so? Um, I don't know. Intel might have been happier to see um, distracted yeah. by a lengthy acquisition process. I would, I would think so. I would agree uh, with Dominic. I, I think you're going to see Intel start to make ARM chips at at a more rapid pace than you can imagine. I, I think Intel is a different Intel right now. Yeah, Pat's not going to go quietly into the night. No, no, no. And he's got some some good strategy. Those of you who read the Stratechery, uh, Ben Thompson's uh, newsletter, he has a really good article on the subscriber list. Uh, so well worth going back for that if you missed it. Um, but since you mentioned uh, blockchain, Mike, there was uh, something about Google Cloud hiring a legion of uh, linked list. I'm sorry, I mean blockchain uh, experts uh, to expand its business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all, all, all five of them are going to go to Google. <laughs> all five of them. 
yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you, big shout out to one of my colleagues who told me how he heats up his swimming pool on blockchain. And it was a long story, but boy, was it clutch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't know the numbers here, but let's let, let's just put one thing in perspective. I, I think blockchain and we're, we're not talking crypto, right? We're talking like whatever, you know, I think companies blockchain has come from the peripherals to something that companies are starting to use. And I think some companies will be forced to because the people they're selling to are going to force them to do things on blockchain, whether it's to track supply chain, whether it's to, you know, I, I think it's the transparency that people are looking for. And I think the supply chain issues that we've had over the past couple of years is going to force a transparency that may push it to a, a blockchain way. Now you could call it Web3, whatever you want, but yeah, Intel, I mean, look, Google sees an opportunity, they're going to take it. How long will it take to for this to be like viable and profitable? Holy hell, no way do I know that. But uh, I mean, if you're and with Google, th- that's no indication that it's a viable product. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It could just yeah. be something they play with for 18 months and then kill. <laughs> but but it might embed it in a glasses or shoes or something. <laughs> It'll be a tab in Gmail for six months, and then it'll be superseded by something yeah. else. <laughs> beta, alpha, beta, yeah. But if you're number three in the cloud pl- in, in the cloud market, I mean, and there's only three players. I mean, okay, number four, five, and six, you could, yeah. I'm sorry, I insulted you, but no one's really uh, going your way. But if, if you're number three and you want to take on one and two, I mean, what do you need to do? You need to do something different. This is it. I mean, look, they need to they need to take some some big swipes because they're they're quickly becoming four, five, and six, and it's quickly becoming a two-player game here. Yeah, and there are some legitimate applications of blockchain out there, depending on where they go with it. Could be something. We'll yeah. find out. Uh, and, of course... That's you guys always... still think I'm crazy on this one, don't you? You still think I'm a bit nuts, huh? A little bit. Just a little bit. But not more <laughs> than usual. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right. Uh, but we'll see. The Twitter's always fun when the topic of blockchain comes up. But uh, something happened to distract the Twitter hive mind, uh, which was Calendly. Uh, <laughs> this was hilarious. Uh, for people who missed it, the progression was basically Sam Lesson. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, I, you need to start with because most people don't yeah. use Calendly. It's just so so Fair some point. some people on my side think Calendly mm-hmm. is some stupid tool that uh, salespeople use to try to distract me to get into my calendar, and I you just like Calendly ignore ignore ignore. So you need to explain kind of what Calendly is. Yeah, so the uh, Calendly is actually. So, First, the description, the raw description, Calendly is a tool that aims to avoid the dance of, I'm free next Wednesday at two. Oh, I can't do two. Can you do four? No, I can't do four, but I can do Thursday. Uh, and what it does, it basically opens up kind of a one-way doodle for those of you who doodle. And you can see, okay, here are the slots in this person's calendar, and you can choose when to meet. And so far, so good. I've used it many times. It's, uh, it really works for that. But it turns out, that Silicon Valley managed to make it worse. And the way they make it worse is they turn it into a power play about who sends whom the Calendly link. (laughs) And the person who sends the Calendly link wins somehow. And it turns into, yeah, then they get the rulers out. It's, um... (laughs) (laughs) So Sam Lessons... uh, Yeah, sorry, go ahead. What a... What a beautiful dance we live in. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's the context of Sam Lesson's tweet. Currently, etiquette is the most raw, naked display of social capital dynamics in business. And then he has a whole screenshotted text uh, attached. 
uh, basically saying, if you send me a Calendly link, uh, it's because you hate me. Um, <laughs> and so I was uh, kind of laughing at this. Like, who gets so worked up about a Calendly yeah. link? Exactly. But then I found out, so following all the replies, apparently there is actually this uh, this thing where someone will reach out to you. They'll cold email you. And here's my Calendly. And I, and that that's different. The way I've always encountered Calendly is, you know, we're going back and forth and you say, okay, we should meet. And the person I'm trying to meet is the one who sends me their Calendly. And so the power dynamic is, you know, evident from the start. Uh, but cold emailing me with a Calendly link, yeah, that, that would rub me up the wrong way too. I have yeah, to but imagine. you just don't reply, right? Mike has got sort of block on every <laughs> exactly. one of those emails. Uh, Look, as an enterprise IT person sitting on the practitioner side, this happens all the time. All the time we get this, I right? No I mean, idea. but I but I just I just ignore it, right? So to me, yeah, the, the context was super different than what everybody was reacting to there. But um, yeah, I mean, and, and we do use, you know, you know, you, you agree on a time. You use different ways. Yeah, Calendly, okay, makes it easy. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know here. Yeah, so. I, how but, is this? I'm sorry. Like within an organization, which I understand this solves the extra organization problem. But within an organization, the glory of free time look look up in Outlook essentially solves the same problem. And in hey. fact, my passive aggressive response to it, shout out to my admin, I love you so much, is to block my whole damn schedule so that you can't find it. You can't find a slot. That's that's how you do it within the org, which leads to the second tweet in the sequence. Sorry, hold on. Uh, But this is this kind of key because it's about the 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 applicable market. So uh, Benedict Evans, that's two Benedicts this week already. He says (laughs) memes and social friction apart. My Calendly puzzle was always how many people have enough meetings to care are allowed to install stuff like that, shout out to Lilac, and don't already have someone else running their diary. It's true. You need the people who have an agenda that's that packed, and they tend to be high up enough that they have EAs or at least shared EAs yeah. well, already. So this is a vanishingly small market that's in between the people who have plenty of time to meet, and so it's not really an issue if you throw three options at them, they're usually able to accept at least one. And the people are so busy that they have an EA or access to a shared EA, and you just go through them. There's how big is that stratum in between for Calendly and Superhuman and all these personal CRM things? First of all, all right, that, that's one example. But what if you're in the gig economy and you, let's say you're 1099, you have three different organizations you're working for? I mean, come on, Ooh, I think it's fractional bullshit. CMO. Let's, let's drop it. Yeah. it all. Yeah, it all depends, though. It all depends. I had a shared EA when I was at. App sure when I ran marketing there and great yeah I mean that was one thing but I still had a use case for this probably right because I have my personal calendar and everything else our personal lives are busy I think it's all bullshit I think it's okay to use Calendly stop trying to tag people or, or fucking label people for using it yeah I think that's my point people make everything worse everybody yeah, should use, get rid of use them. what use what makes your <laughs> life easier right it doesn't matter. And yeah, if somebody, yeah. if they don't know you, you're right, Dominic. They might think this guy's a douchebag. I'm what you're looking for is consensual Calendly behaviors, I think. I think consent matters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Consent is sexy. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. I think it's the way it's the way people use these tools that, that's the real problem. But, I mean, within an organization, I don't think you have this problem, right? Because you make no. your, your, your calendar pretty... Either it's just most senior person wins. Or, or it's, you know, let's look at each other's shared calendar and figure it out. Now, if everybody was in the Office 365 
ecosystem and using <laughs> themes, then you could like message, like if you have organization to organize, right? You could just message anybody. Like, you know, if you have teams, you could pop up satya.nadel at microsoft.com and send satya a, a message. You still can't see his calendar because he's outside the organization, unless your organization is fairly transparent that they don't care and show everybody's calendar, but that would be a bit uh, too much. So yeah. yeah, if Satya gets uh, gets any messages because of this uh, podcast, I, I apologize. But yeah, we'll also he's welcome to come on the show and explain himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the the final tweet in the three tweet sequence is Calendly's content and brand team. <laughs> today so hats off to them well done that was the best reaction i've seen from a brand in some time uh because but, i i think their cost is something like 2.99 a month is that it is that is that the calendly cost i i, I don't even know but they said that signups so, yeah. were signups were through the roof this week because people like looked at it like oh, saw this I had no idea this existed yeah. yeah saw this storm no idea this existed they're like this will save my life and then signed up for it so yeah win for for calendly to be it, it is uh, look I, I i started using it about a year ago and i stopped using it i only use it for a few months but i kind of like it like it's i think it's good yeah. link from the microsoft story at the top of the show uh and the potential acceleration of demands from the pandemic people buying more devices now we're on the downswing from that maybe could Peloton be an early warning of that? They had to either halt or slow production of bikes and treadmills, depending on which rumors and leaks you believe. Do you think everyone who wants to Peloton has now bought one? Seems plausible. I don't know. I still see net new Peloton riders. I think the, I believe, and I've had this conversation with my fellow enthusiasts, um, that, that their marketing is going to have to pivot. I think it went to a real luxury good place, not their social, their social did not, but their proper Super Bowl ad marketing went to a luxury good place. And I think, I think actually it isn't a luxury good rel- relative to most gym memberships in the US, right? I think it actually isn't. Um, and I think that if they want to continue to grow market, they need to look more accessible to the next tier down um, and become slightly less aspirational. Um, That's a hard move going such, down market though, such, without eroding. Such a such a marketing answer. Let me tell you what happened, right? So so they produced so many bikes that they didn't sell. So now they have so much inventory that they had to practically stop production or slow it down. Number and they one, killed Mr. Big. And they killed Mr. Big. And actually, they killed Who someone else sucked? in another show. But but anyway, the real pro the real problem is like companies should be looking at their data, should be using it to estimate what they're going to sell. And clearly, they haven't got it damn clue if they need to almost stop production too much staff i mean don't forget this is a company that bought precore because they needed more manufacturing capacity so i think they're just yeah i great technology but obviously internally i don't think they're using great technology so and others yeah, are forecast catching up, way right, off. Mike? others are catching up as well uh, others are catching up, but I think it's a tough it's a tough market to penetrate, right? I, I, I think the question now is who's going to acquire Peloton, but I think it's a, a dual-class shareholder type of company. So it's going to happen, right? I mean, it's coming. They're coming with a rowing machine. I mean, who wants to row? There's already rowing competitors. Acquire somebody. I, I don't who know. Wants to row, who wants to row? Like, who wants to row? Who wants to row? My rowing Dominic. machine right over there. <laughs> <laughs> And you Which, think Dominic's I'm in the market to upgrade that. Now you mention it. Dominic, Dominic, but Apple doesn't Dominic make a rowing machine, Dominic. Dominic will not buy a Peloton rower. He will find the most obscure, great rowing machine with a screen, like Hydrofloor or whatever. Straight, and straight to Technogym. No question. It, yeah, there you go. So, you know, it's done. He's going to buy a river. <laughs> uh, 
Jeez. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on that note, on that fluid note, thank you for sticking with us. It's been great having all four of us. The conversation benefits from it, I'm sure. Uh, you can keep up with the show all week on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise or on our LinkedIn page. The theme music is by my friend Renato Podesta. Please do send us suggestions for topics and or guests for future episodes. The next few are going to be on the general theme of cloud, and we already have a couple of really cool guests lined up, so I'm sure we'll enjoy talking to. And I hope you will enjoy listening to it. See you then. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.